Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. One of the most unique preachers to ever stand behind the sacred desk was George Hawthorne. This sermon was preached at God's Bible School and College Camp Meeting in 1976, and he titles it, Obedience. I know you will enjoy this very unique sermon. Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to come to thee and ask thee to help us. We're glad you've never turned us down. Your ear is always open to our cry, and we're glad you're going to help us tonight. Praise the Lord. Come on the scene in a mighty way. Touch the hearts of men and women tonight, and may the Holy Ghost magnify the name of Jesus. All this we ask in his name. Amen. I'm reading to you from St. John, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. And the third day there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come yet. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set their six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men are well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus the king of Galilee, and manifest forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Whenever we read of the life of Jesus, this is what we find. He always had a great crowd of people following after him. But to really get men and women to say that he was the true and the living son of God, that was a hard job. Some said he was a good man, others a fake and imposter. But then again, a few said he was the true and the living Son of God. We find here that Jesus Christ and his mother and his disciples had been given an invitation to a marriage. Now, they had only been there a short time until they ran out of wine. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Everybody likes to use it. The Christian likes to use it, and we say this is a miracle the Lord performed. But the old sinner, he likes to use it to say, well, if the Lord made it, why can't we drink it? Uh, just before I was saved, I was a kind of a part-time bootlegger. I'd make the stuff and see that the people got it. But as soon as I got under Holy Ghost conviction, it automatically put me out of business. You know, some people claim they have to get saved to stop a lot of things, but I find a case of good old-time religion will do a pretty good job of cleaning you up. Anyway, she did me. And I notified the men, I said, I ain't making her anymore, and I ain't bringing it in anymore. And they really felt bad. But one day a fellow come to me, he said, George, he said, you know, ever since you get messed up with this religion, he said, I, I've been reading my Bible. I said, good for you, Tony. And he said, you know, I, uh, I have read some things in there I don't think you know. Well, I said, what have you read? Well, he says, did you know that the master himself made it? And he said, if he made it, it looks like that we ought to be able to drink it. And 
He said, I read of a man there that had stomach trouble, and some guy in the Bible said he should drink it for his stomach's sake. That would surprise you how many of those guys developed a belly ache and felt they needed a little wine for their stomach's sake. <laughs> well, we find here that they had ran out of wine, and a word spread around that they had ran out of wine. So uh, Jesus' mother went to him, and she says, they have ran out of wine. And he said, woman, what has that to do, do with me? The mine hour has not come yet. Now, what he meant by that, I'll be honest with you, I do not know. But I find this, that Jesus' mother was like all mothers, she understood her boy. And I believe that every boy up and down the country appreciates a good mother. Because a mother knows her boy better than anyone else. I, I remember my mother over in the old country. There used to be a rap come to our door. And before my mother answered the door, I knew exactly what it was. It was the woman up the street that had come down to give her a sad story. And sure enough, as my mother opened the door, she would tell my mother that I had hit her boy and sent him home crying. She would call me to the door, what about this? Did you hit this boy? Yep. What did you hit him for? Well, I said, he hit me. And right away, my mother began to take my part. Well, she said, there's a reason. Yeah, but she said, your boy was throwing stones at my boy's dog. Was you doing that? Yep. What was you doing that for? Well, I said, he was throwing stones at my dog. And right away, my mother used to take up my part. She said, I'll tell you what it'll do. If you'll go home and give your Charles a going over, I'll give my George one. But you got the answer. I never got it. But many times, I rejoice that my father never heard them stories. He would have been dumb enough to Alyssa believe the woman and hold her to the coal house and use the shillelagh on me. But you see, that's the difference in a man and a woman. A woman knows her boy better than anyone else. And a woman's boy may be the meanest boy in the community to you, but to his mother, he's a good boy. I was in a jail one time, and a young fellow says to me, he said, hey, preacher, could you do me a favor? I said, yeah. He said, when you go out uh, tomorrow, could you see my mom? I said, yeah. He said, don't forget. I said, I'll go and see her. So on the way out, I passed the jailer. I said, what about this boy? He said, he's a bad one, Reverend. He was uh, only stealing hubcaps and smashing a few plate glass windows and had set a few buildings on fire and he had a little gang that he was causing a little trouble. And he said he's a bad one. So I went up the next day and I rapped at this door and a lady opened the door. I said, are you Mrs. Hagis? She said, I am. I said, you have a boy by the name of Jim? Yeah, she said, I do. She says, did you see him? I said, I've seen him in jail. She said, come in, Mike. She said, isn't he a fine boy? Ah, oh, she said, I'm telling you, mister, she said that boy wouldn't hurt the flea on a dog's back. She said, you know why he's in jail? I said, why? Why, she said, he takes the blame for everything. He'd never do anything wrong. When anything goes wrong, the police come here, and he says, I did it. Just to let the other boys go. And when that mother got through talking to me, I felt like going down and opening the door and letting her boy out. But I was looking at it through a mother's eyes, and we find this, <laughs> that a mother's eyes is different than anyone else. But my advice to you, you better be careful what you say about any woman's boy. He may be the meanest to you, but to his mother, he's a good boy. Well, a mother understands her boy. Jesus' mother understood her boy. And she looked at the man and she said, whatsoever he saith unto you do it. So Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now they could have given him an argument and said, well, where's the blackberries or the dandelions or the grapes or the sugar or the eastern? Where's all the stuff you need to make the wine? For you know as well as I do, you know that you don't make wine by filling a few water, water pots with water. You have to have your grapes or your dandelions or your blackberries or elderberries. You have to have sugar. You have to have yeast. And you put it all together and let it rot and ferment for about 30 days. You stir it all up and leave it going. When all the flies and gnats in the community fall in it and drown for 30 days more, then you stir that up and boy, you say, man, we have a humdinger of a match on. Well, these men could have given said, now wait, where's all the other stuff? But instead of arguing, they filled them to the very brim. And as soon as they filled them to the brim, he said, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And as soon as the old governor tasted it, he said, why in the world have you kept the best until the last? This was a miracle the Lord performed. But there was only one way he was able to do that. He had some men that were just dumb enough to do the thing that he told them. When we study the life of Jesus Christ, that's what we find all down through the line. Jesus came to town one day. Here was a poor old man laying there, twisted all out of shape. And the Bible says that at a certain time of the year, the angels would trouble the water. 
the first one that stepped in and touched the water, they were immediately made whole. But when Jesus came to town, not this man didn't know who he was, but when Jesus looked at him, the poor man said, boy, I wish somebody would put me in the pool. For about the time the angels troubled the water, somebody gets in ahead of me. But with compassion, the Lord looked at the man. He said, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Well, he could have said, who are you to tell me to do that? He could have lain there and given the Lord an argument, but he would have died a crippled man. But instead of arguing, immediately he jumped to his feet, threw his bed on his back, and he started home praising the Lord. A blind boy was brought to Jesus the next day. The Lord took a little clay spit in it, rolled it in his hands, pressed it on his eyes. He said, boy, get down to the pool and wash and you'll receive your sight. Why, he could have said, man, I wash three times a day, I'm a Jew. He could have given him a good argument, but he didn't. He went down and washed and he came back rejoicing he had received his eyesight. The old scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing their best to put the Lord out of commission. And he gave them a lot of chances. This day he came to the synagogue. And everybody could see him that knew he was there. Standing off to the side was a poor man with a withered hand. And the Lord said, let me ask you a question. He said, is it right to do good on the Sabbath day or not? None of them would answer him. So he looked at this man and he said, stretch forth thine hand. Now, I know very little about the man, but he must have been a member of a church that I was a member of over in the old country. As soon as Saturday midnight arrived, that was known as the start of the Holy Sabbath day. I wasn't allowed to whistle. I wasn't allowed to talk out loud. I could not play with toys. No games or nothing like that could be played at all on the Holy Sabbath day. And I wish this country had the same thing. We're in a country, my friends, that breaks the Sabbath day more than any country that I know of. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days do all the monkeying around you want to, but when it comes to the Sabbath day, stop your monkeying around and serve the Lord. Make that a holy day. We're not doing it, are we? We're going to be crying one of these days because we are not living up to what we should. Well, this man could have said, wait a minute. He could have said, my church won't allow me to do this. He could have given the Lord an argument. But instead of arguing with him, he brought it forth and it was made whole the same as the other. One more illustration. The disciples have been out fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing. Now, to me, that would be very, very discouraging. Out all night and not catch a thing, I'll have to confess to you, I'm not a fisherman. I've never had the patience to sit on a bank and wait for the fish to bite. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You catch them, we eat them. If you clean them. I've gone fishing with men and they'd throw the line in and I said, there ain't, they say, keep still or you'll scare them away. I said, there ain't nothing to scare. And they'd sit there for almost an hour, not, not anything, and they'd try to tell me there was fish in there. Now, the kind of fishing I like to do, I like to get that pole in the sand, put the bait up, spit on it, and throw it out. And before it hits the water, I like the fish to jump up and catch it and pull them in and go home and say, boy, I caught my fish. Now, I don't know, I know there's not too much of that, but that would be my kind of fishing. I'd rather fish for men any day than to fish for women. And fish for fish. And fish for drunkards. Men need the Lord. Even good moral men. Something called the bad men need it. But good moral men need the Lord too, you know. Here they'd been out all night, hadn't caught a thing, was washing their nets, tired and hungry and ready to go home. And who come on the scene but the Lord. And they gave them the old story, no fish today. Jesus said, shove out and let your nets down for a catch. The disciples were fishermen. I have covered this country north, south, east, and west. I have dealt with men and women of all walks of life. And fishermen tell me that the fish go by in schools. If you're there, you get them. If not, you wait for the cycle. And I'm sure they knew that. And they could have said, Lord, this is the wrong time of the day. But they didn't argue. They threw the nets in the boat, shoved out, let their nets down. And the Bible says they caught so many fish, the boat began to sink. They had to call for help. The thing that I'm trying to bring to you this evening, my friend, is obedience is better than sacrifice. That's the thing that the Lord needs today, my friend. He has a lot of saved people. He has a lot of sanctified people. But what he needs is obedient men and women. Now, you and I that make a profession of religion tonight, we are known as the children of God. I get into a lot of homes up and down the country, and a lot of homes, there are children there. 
I've been in homes and I've heard the father saying, Johnny, would you shut that door? Shut her yourself. I ain't going that way. So old softy would get up and shut the door. I've heard mothers saying to their daughters, oh, would you get me this? Now I'm doing something else. Get her yourself. And old softy would get up and get it. But then I've been in homes when the father said, shut the door. He meant shut her now. For if he didn't, that boy was standing up to eat the next few meals. And when the mother told the girl to bring, she meant stop what you're doing and bring her now. Well, you, you, you notice those things when you get in homes. Many times when I'm there, children, I play with a box and I wrestle with them and sling shots and uh, shoot a few things around there that we're not supposed to. And uh, uh, I, I learned to know those kids. Well, when I come back, maybe there was a, maybe I'm gone 10 years. They were standing there. When I come back, they're 20 years old. And I remember them. They wouldn't obey their parents. And when I'm on the platform, I'm looking to see if I can locate that boy that could really, really wrestle with me. I say to the song leader, hey, buddy, how long have you I've been here all my life? What about that guy? Ah, Brother Hawthorne, that's a sad story. Where is he? He's in the pain. He'll not be out for three years yet. Well, when you disobey your parents, there's trouble down along the line. Well, where's the girl that used to can eat two hamburgers and drink an extra? Hey, that's a bad one. She's given birth to her third illegitimate child and she's ordered out of the state. When children do not obey their parents, there's a muddy road down along the line. You remember a few years ago the word of song they brought, that they brought out, detour, there's a muddy road ahead. I don't play them, but I think of the words, and some of those men bring out some real stuff. And unless that we detour from the bad road, there's a muddy road for some of us down along the line. Obedience is the thing that God wants today. I had a young fellow come up to me. He says, Brother Hawthorne, do you remember me? No, sir. He said, you stayed in my home. I said, I know you now by your talk. He said, the first week I get saved in your revival, the second week I get sanctified, he said, I've got a business in town. This is my wife and my baby. I'm a member of the Holiness Church. He was a good boy for he obeyed his parents. That's the thing that Jesus Christ needs today. You can be ever so well saved and ever so well sanctified, but if you do not obey the Lord, he can't use you. And that's the thing that God needs today. He needs some real personal workers, uh, men and women that are not ashamed of the gospel of God. He tells us to let our light shine wherever we go, that men and women may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Now, I know we're all different. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants a variety. He wants different men and women just to be yourself. It would be too bad if everybody was a piano player. It would be too bad if everybody was an organ player. It would be too bad if everybody played an accordion or a guitar. But I'll tell you what I can do. You give me all those instruments together and let me arrange them and take a part. And I'll let you hear some of the nicest music that you've ever heard. If they're played right. And if God can only get men and women to obey him, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. It may look a little funny to some people. But if the Lord's asking you to do it, he wants you to do it. Let me give you a little experience I had. Now, I wouldn't say the Lord would ask you to do what he wants me to do. I was over in Johnstown, Pennsylvania a few years ago holding a revival there for Reverend Guy Turp. I used to get down the street and I would uh, take some tracts with me and I'd give them out. When it was raining, I had a raincoat and I had painted on there, Jesus saves from all sin. And I'd walk up and down the street and out in the stores and advertise the Lord. But right down in Johnstown, there's a nice little park there. And I thought, well, wouldn't that be a good place to get down there and give them about a five-minute sermon and invite them up to where I'm holding a meeting and try and get some of them saved. Well, the old bunch of old men and women was playing chess, dominoes, cards, and checkers, and a few other things. And I thought, well, that'll be a good thing to do. So the next good old Sunday day, I got my teeth brushed, put on a clean shirt, and down I started for the park. I was standing there waiting for the light to change, uh, uh, and a policeman walked up, and he looked at me. He said, uh, good afternoon, sir. And I said, good afternoon, officer. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, uh, are you a stranger in this town? Yes, I said, I am. I said, I'm brand new. I got a brand new smell on me. I'm just here a few days. Oh, he said, I see. Uh, he said, uh, uh, would you happen to be a, a minister? Yeah, I said, how could you tell? Well, he said, you look like one. I said, what do you know about that? He said, uh, was you figuring in going into the park to preach? 
I said, you're a mind reader. Yeah. He said, Reverend, before you do it, would you go up to that building, go in the door. There's a girl right to the right. Tell her you want to see the chief of police and tell him that you want to preach in the park. I said, officer, bless God, I'll do her. And I turned around and up I went. Well, when I stepped in the door, here was a young lady sitting there. I said, good afternoon. She said, good afternoon, sir. I said, I would like to see the chief of police. She says, do you have an appointment? I said, yes, ma'am, right now. She said, thank you. <laughs> so she stepped right into a door and she said, uh, uh, asked my name. I told her, she said, Mr. Hawthorne is here. He said, who? She said, Mr. Hawthorne. He said, I don't know of any hot. She said, he's outside and got an appointment. Now I can hear her, you know, for I was standing close. And she said, he's out there now. He said, I have no appointment. She said, he's out there. And he said, now. Well, he said, bring him in. So she came out. She said, the chief will see you, Mr. Hawthorne. So I stepped in and he got up and I said, are you the chief? I said, the chief, my name is George Hawthorne, bless God. And I have a case of good old time religion. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I said, I'm holding a revival in your town. I said, for the Wesleyan Methodist Church. And I said, I thought I would like to get out to this park and do a little preaching about a five minute sermon without taking an offering. And I said, while I was waiting for the light, a policeman stepped up and asked me if I was new. I said, yeah. He said, are you a preacher? I said, yeah. He said, are you going to preach in the park? I said, yeah. He said, see the chief of police. So I said, bless God, chief, here I am. He said, boy, you got her. I said, I sure do. He said, sit down. He said, you sound like my old mom. He said she was an old shout Methodist. I've seen her running the aisles and shouting the hairpins out of her hair. He said at the old camp meetings, my, he said, you sound like her. I said, praise the Lord. He said, Reverend, I'm going to find out whether you've got old time religion or not. I said, I'm ready. He said, by rights, there's not a soul in the world could stop you from going down there and preaching what you have in your heart. He said, I ought to have it. All my men ought to have it. And he said, everybody in this town needs it. But he said, listen, I know. He said, one time I was a boy, I was saved. And he said, if we allow you to go down in that park, he said, the Catholics want to go. The Jehovah Witness want to go. The Mormons want to go. He said, the, 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 the Jehovah Witness. He said, every false religion wants to get down there. Now, he said, in order to stop the whole thing, I say, no preaching. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I ain't going to go. He said, I believe you got her. <laughs> you know, I could have said, well, bless God, I'm going anyway. But he said this. He said, now, Reverend, if I let you get down there, what other holiness preacher is going to be down there preaching every day for 10 or 15 minutes so as I can tie the thing up? I said, I don't know. He said, neither do I. Preachers used to have street meetings. Holiness people used to get out on the street till they learned better. They're not doing it now. We wonder why the tongues and the healers and all that stealing the show because we ain't doing anything. Well, I shook hands, had prayer with him, and I left him. When I got outside, the old devil said to me, Aha, you didn't get to preach, no, but I said, Bless God, it's not 7.30 yet. Well, if you're familiar with John Sand at the courthouse, to the right it's all business, to the left it's all the red light district. So I thought, well, I'll get down through the red light district section and I might see a few fights and maybe I can help in one or two. So down I went. I went into the first saloon. I walked in. He said, the guy was just there. He said, well, I said, I don't want anything. I'm just looking around. He said, okay. So I walked up and I went into the next one and a few guys said, what do you want? I said, nothing. I said, I'm only looking around. He said, okay. Well, I went in, oh, maybe three or four, but when I got into the last one, buddy, she was clear full. Hey, there was a lot of boys and girls in there. There was a drink in the old jukebox was a plane, and I thought, hey, I'm liable to see a little action here. <laughs> so I kind of got away back off in the corner, you know, and I was kind of standing there leaning up against one of the old boxes there, and I was looking the crowd over, and I thought, boy, it's a shame, just about 15 years I used to be in this mess myself. And I was looking the crowd over, you know, and boy, there was a drinking and having a big time. And all at once, an old man stepped out. He said, shut that jukebox off. And they pulled the plug. He said, anybody that thinks they're man or woman enough to take me on, he said, put up or shut up. And I thought, oh, oh, he's a going to get her. And I was watching all these young boys, you know. 
And boy, again, he got up and he, he said a few funny words at first. And he said, if you think you're man enough to take money, he said, put up or shut up. Well, back in my day, when a fellow was sitting in a bar with his girlfriend and a guy like that, you wanted to show how tough he was, so you got up and you took him on. And I said, hey, Lord, why doesn't somebody take him on? And the Lord said, I want you to take him on. I thought, oh, Lord, no. <laughs> I kind of backed up. And boy, the next time he got up, he sounded like the great big giant that defied the living army of God. He said, this is it. Put up or shut up. I said, okay, buddy. Stay right up here. And I said, I'll take you on. Get right over here. And I was a kind of sizing up a little, you know, getting a little footwork. And the bartender said, get out. He said, there'll be no fighting in here. I said, that's right. Come on outside. And as I got him with the door, I tripped him and I got him down and I threw my arms and pulled him real close. And I said, buddy, I always pray before I fight. And I begin to pray. And I begin to plead the blood. And to my surprise, that old man began to pray. That old man began to confess out he was a backslider. He was away from God and on his road to hell. He said, pray. And boy, him and I prayed and barked like an old dog up a country. And it wasn't long. He said, I found him and he threw his arm around me. Kissed me on the forehead. <laughs> hey, that old man got up and oh, he said, you won the fight and so did I. And the last I seen him, he was on his way home waving his hand saying, praise the Lord. Going home to tell his wife he'd found the Lord. Now, I wouldn't say the Lord would ask you to do a thing like that, but he did me. You know, you used to read of how God used to use men and women years ago and how people used to get saved. Now, God hasn't gone out of business. God is not dead. His people have gone out of business. You birds have gone out of business. You're not doing anything. Oh, what they used to do. Well, if God could do it then, why can't he do it today? Whatsoever he saith unto you. You study the life of the old Salvation Army. No wonder they got a lot of people saved. There was out wrapping doors. There was in the dives and the dens dealing with men and women. But today we can't do that. We're, we're too busy to talk to people about their soul. We are too, uh, too ashamed that to even let them know that we're in with the holiness crowd. So we don't do anything. Now, God hasn't gone out of business. It's you that are not doing anything. Whatsoever he saith unto you, my friends, do it. If there ever was a time that the holiness church needed personal workers, it's in the day that you and I live. Everybody can't be a preacher. Everybody can't be a missionary. So we have to have preachers and missionaries and personal workers. A lot of personal workers get more people saved than a lot of preachers do. Because they're out dealing with the souls of men and women. Whatsoever he saith unto you, my friends, does the Lord ever talk to you? Does he ever ask you to do anything? You know, we're a kind of a funny bunch, the holiness people. We think there's nobody but us. Well, that's how dumb you are. There's a lot of people. And if God can't get the old-fashioned holiness crowd to do anything, he'll work on the next thing. I was down here in Atlanta, Georgia, not so long ago, sitting in the old bus station there thinking, boy, there's going to be a little problem. Hey, the segregation problem was running high, and I mean, buddy, oh, you could feel it. So I always go in the bus stations and the train stations, and I, uh, instead of buying a magazine or a newspaper, when people lay them down, I pick them up and I save my money. I don't have to buy one. See, so I read the magazine, and I was sitting in there, you know, and boy, you could feel the tension. And I thought, boy, something might happen here. And my, you could feel it. And all at once, a young woman got up. She stepped up and she said, could I have your attention, please? Bobbed hair, thin line of lipstick, or dress between her knees and her hips, no sleeves on at all. She said, could I have your attention, please? And everybody looked. She said, I would like to tell you about Jesus, that he died to save everybody from sin. She read a wee little bit of scripture and told them how Jesus loved everybody. And automatically, I said, amen, praise the Lord. She said, thank you, brother, you're a Christian. Went on, bowed her head, had a little season of prayer and got through and the tension was eased off. She says, brother, I said, praise the Lord. She said, would you go with me to my next place? I said, yeah. So we walked into the great big cafeteria. 
Here she was. A worldly woman walked into a cafeteria and said, could I have your attention? And everybody was looking at each other. And, and she, she read a little scripture and, and gave a little testimony and had a season of prayer. And, and uh, she says, well, go, Brother Hawthorne. She says, I do this three times a week. I go to two other places beside this. I give them my testimony. I read a little scripture and I tell them Jesus died to save them. How many holiness women are doing that? Well, she was a word. I don't care how worldly she was. She was doing something that you ain't doing. You got a bus station in this town. You got a bus station in your hometown. How many of you women are down there reading your Bible and talking to somebody about, I've been in that bus station many a time and I've seen the Jehovah Witness there. But none of the holiness crowd. Now, if you're not going to do anything, shut up and leave them alone. The Jehovah Witness are out on the street. Do you know that they are the fastest growing organization today and has shocked the officials of the rapid growth of the Jehovah Witness? You're condemning everything you see. Well, hollering at them is not going to do them any good. Link up with them. I was down here in a state one time and a Jehovah Witness man was standing with his literature. So I walked up and I said, praise the Lord. I said, you're a Jehovah Witness. Yes, sir. I said, so am I. He said, you are? I said, yeah, I'm from the state of Ohio. Well, he said, I'm glad to meet you. So I opened up my Bible and I stood there, you know, and I was advertising the Lord. <laughs> when the crowds come out of a big supermarket, I said, don't pay any attention to him. I said, read your Bible, go to church on Sunday school Sunday and let the Lord save you. I'd walk up, I'd say, folks, don't pay anything to that man. I said, read your Bible, go to church on Sunday school and get out and let the Lord save you. Well, I'd been doing that for about 10 minutes and when the crowd went down, he said, hey. He said, what do you got there? I said, Jehovah's Word. I said, what do you got? What's that? Judge Rutherford. What in the world is that? Well, he said, I thought you was a Jehovah Witness. I said, I thought you was a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> Well, he says, you'll have to get off the street. He said, I was here first. I said, I was here second. <laughs> well, he said, I'll call the police. I said, go ahead. I don't care. I've been in jail before. That ain't the worst I've gone. <laughs> well, uh, just before I had left this uh, northern part of the country, uh, I went past a, a preacher's home, old brother Stratton, and he was trying to dig a ditch. I said, get away from there. I said, you're too old to be doing that type of work. Give me that pick, and I took the old pick, and I was spitting on my hands, you know, and I was just digging that old ditch, and boy, when I got about maybe 50 feet of that dug, my hands were sore. Well, I had three days traveling on the train, so when I got on the train, I said, who's the head conductor? And they said, he's back in the coach, and I went up, and I said, do you have a preacher on this train? Now, I said, you do. Who? I said, me. Well, they said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to preach on the train. If this is going to be my church, I'd like to preach. I said, I play an accordion and I preach. He said, go ahead. I said, thank you. So I started every night at 7 o'clock, and I'd play, going from one coach to the other, singing what a friend we have in Jesus, and talk and do a little preaching. Well, boy, by the time my three days journey went over, ooh, my hands were sore, big blisters on them, and I was, I was biting them, you know, and letting that water run out. Ooh, they were sore. Well, while I was tackling this, a great crowd, you know, they, they, they always talk out loud. Yeah, well, so I was talking out loud. Bless God, hallelujah. So a great big crowd, up come the police, he said, what's wrong? He said, this man is causing trouble. I said, he's lying. I'm trouble free. I don't cause trouble. He said, I was here first. And he said, you'll have to get him off the street. And the policeman said, was he first? Yes, but I said, I was here second. Well, he said, you'll have to go. Well, I said, I ain't going. I said, I'm standing here advertising the Bible, and he's advertising a false prophet. Now, I said, bless God, I'm a staying here. So a fellow stepped in. He said, well, let me just have a little talk here. He said, I suppose you're an ordained minister. Boy, I said, I am, yeah. One of these school fellows that has a church. I said, yeah. And boy, the crowd got around. 
He said, why don't you get a job and raise some blisters on your hands? I said, I've got bigger blisters on my hands than you got. He said, show them. When I showed them my hands, boy, what a mess they were. Hey, listen. Uh, mailman stepped in and took his hat off. He said, this is the first man I've ever seen with a Bible out on the street. He said, if anybody goes to jail, he does. And this man stays here and advertising the Lord. And he said, I'm going to stay here and see that he does. And when I showed the fellow my hands, he crawled off. And he and the crowd said, hey, they said, hurry for the fellow with the Bible. So I stayed on the street corner and got to talk to people about the Lord. Hey, listen, we don't do that anymore. We're not doing anything anymore. Why? Uh, that used to be the holiness church that used to be their job but uh, all we do is sit around and pick at each other and find fault with each other and chew at each other and see what we can say bad about somebody that's no sign of religion anybody can get that for nothing but old time religion you gotta pay a price for it you gotta pray you gotta love everybody if you can't say anything good about them shut up <laughs> Sometimes that's a hard thing for some people to do, you know. A fella says to me, you know what I know about a fella? I said, I don't want to know what you know about him. Oh. I said, oh. That was the end of it. Well, whatsoever he saith unto you. There's a lot of people that will never come to church. I was up here in Indianapolis some time ago, and I... Uh, uh, went into the fortune teller's place the gypsies was there you know and they've got a soul the same as anyone else and I stepped in and uh, she said I'm going to tell you your fortune for one dollar I said you can't tell my fortune and here in come another lady and she was wringing her hands oh she says I'm in trouble she says uh, could you tell my fortune she said I'm going to tell your fortune for one dollar I said wait a minute I'll do it for 50 cents <laughs> I'll tell you a fortune so the old gentleman, she said, this is my business. I said, that's my business too. We're both in the same business. So this woman looked at me. She said, uh, you tell fortune? Oh, yeah. I said, woman, you're troubled. I said, you're a troubled woman. I said, if you die, you'll go to hell. He said, oh, my, oh, my. And the old fortune said, who tell you that? I said, I get it out of the book. Where do you get your stuff at? <laughs> well, boy, we really got into it. And I said, hey, let me show you what I'm going to do. Get on your knees. And I got them down on their knees and had to see the prayer with them. And when I got through, no money was transacted. But the woman said, you helped me. And the old gypsy, she said, you are a good man. Why you come into my store? I says, to tell you I love you. And I want you to find the Lord. She said, when you come back. Oh, I said, when I come back, I'll come back and see you. So I'd go back every now and then. I was gone for, oh, quite a while. When I come back, she says, George, we've been looking for you. And brought out a brand new gypsy baby. She said, would you pray for this baby like you did with me? So I dedicated the gypsy baby to the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hey, the Lord might make a holiness preacher out of that gypsy baby. <laughs> But people, uh, why, if, if people would have gone by and seen me, oh my, oh, what's she doing in there? Well, what do you think I was doing in there? Playing marbles? Huh? I was in there for business. That's the trouble with us today. We're afraid what will people say about us. I don't care what they say about me. That's what does the Lord think about me. That's what I'm interested in. Hey, you can come here and cry and pray and get all the religion you want, but if you don't do anything about it, you'll die. Yes, you will. And that's why men and women are not getting anywhere today. We're not even talking about the Lord. The next door neighbor doesn't even know you're saved. You don't even pray out loud. You don't do anything. I was driving along with my wife and I was going up to Canada. And I said, now, Madeline, I know you're hungry. Be careful, little girl. You can only have a cup of coffee and a sandwich. So we were sitting down there. The girl come up and I said, I'd like a cup of coffee and a hamburger and she'd like one too. So when they brought them down, she brought her head and I said, now Lord, praise the Lord, I want to thank you for this food and the traveling mercy, bless God and glad for all the good and perfect things that come from thee. Praise the Lord, amen. And boy, everybody was looking. So when we got through, you know, the lady come up and she says, anything else? I said, no. Nope. So she wrote out the old check and put it down. The fella grabbed that check. Hey. I said, that's mine. He said it was. 
He said, any fella that would come in a place and pray out like you did, I pay the bill. And I said, I wish that I got a piece of pie and some ice cream. <laughs> he said, you can. And I got her and so did she. And buddy, we got to talking about old time religion. And men got to telling how sad they were for the sins they were in. And women said, I wish that we knew. I said, you can know them now. And the old restaurant man, he said, boy, come back anytime. People are watching us. I was coming along the road one day and I went in the restaurant, got a bite to eat. And a lady brought it and I bowed my head and I just bowed my head. I was just getting ready to pray. And the girl come up. She said, mister. I said, yeah. She said, could I get you an aspirin? I said, what for? She said, you got a headache. I said, I do not. She said, you do. I said, I don't. She said, don't, haven't you been traveling? I said, I've been traveling from Springfield, Massachusetts, and I'm going clear down into Pennsylvania. Why, she said, when you did that, I know. I said, no, I don't have a head. I said, sit down there. So she sat down, and I said, now I'll show you by your head. So I went ahead and I prayed and thanked the Lord for getting me in the restaurant and getting to talk to this girl and thanking her for the food, praise the Lord. And when I got through, she was looking at me. She said, you do this all the time? I said, yeah. She said, could I, could I talk to you? I said, yeah. She said, when I was three years old, my daddy used to do that, and I thought he was talking to his plate, but he died and left my mom with nine children. She said, we've been put in all kind of homes, and you're the first man I've seen doing what my daddy would do. As the tears began to roll down her face, she said, eh, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. And she said, maybe my daddy was one. I said, if he did that, no doubt he was. And I said, not only your daddy, but you could be one. And as she bowed her head and I prayed with her. Oh, she said, how glad I am that you came today. She said, I buy your meal. And she said, anytime you go by, I buy your meal. And I stop by every now and then. You see how good the Lord is? The poor girl was hungry. Ah, but you know what people do? They go in to eat and they... This is the praying, you know. That's how they pray. Well, no wonder you don't get anything for nothing. You're not doing anything. If you get in there and have a season of prayer, bless God, you might do you might get something for nothing. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did one time. A big official asked me to come and eat with him. Well, I never turned that down. No, sir. And uh, he asked me, it was a nice big fancy restaurant, you know, that you had those uh, big fancy things that, you know, you put up here on you so you wouldn't get the stuff on you. Got mine in there and we're sitting there and boy. They brought that meal, mashed potatoes and gravy and roast beef and all the rest of the junk and stuff, you know. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Hawthorne, would you pray? Yes, sir. I said, glory, hallelujah, bless God. I said, what a meal. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I said, bless it to us and strengthen us. Bless God and fire us up. Hallelujah. And when I got through, his head was down. So I was into it. I was eating, you know. My, I was just uh, getting the rest of that stuff, you know. I said, eat. <laughs> well, uh, it was so good, you know, that I must to take a piece of bread and get the gravy out. And I said, aren't you going to eat? No, 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 hurry up. Well, I, I, you're not going to leave that yet. I said, wait a minute, boy. I've got to put mine over there. I got me a double meal. And you know, when I got through, uh, he, we got outside, he said, you embarrassed me. I said, what do you mean? He said, praying out loud like that. Well, I said, I didn't know how you wanted me to pray. Why didn't you tell me to pray quiet? If I'd have prayed quiet, I would only got one meal, but I prayed out and I got two meals, buddy. That's a double header. You know, that's, that's what people used to do for the Lord. They'd pray anywhere. They'd testify anywhere. Praise the Lord. But we're doing that now. 
And people think that God's dead. These people are dead. Look at the opportunities that God's given you. Look at the show people. I've been in the show business for years. Never once did a Christian man or woman ever come to me and tell me that they loved me and was interested in my soul. I was up here. You know, I'm always interested in an accordion playing. And when I come to any show card, I always look to see if I can see the name. And boy, I ran up across a show in, in, in Buffalo and it said Excelsior. That's one of the best makes. I thought, boy, I wonder if they're a good player. I bought a ticket and I went in. <laughs> and boy, when they got up to play, it was just a regular play show. Oh, boy, I could tell the way. <laughs> they got the old answer. So they got up and sang a little. A fella, he was a juggler. Intermission. They always got the back door for the smoke, so I beat it up with them. When they come out, you know, I said, hello. Hi. Hey, I said, buddy, that was a good juggling show you put on. I said, I like that. He said, you see it? Yeah, I said, I seen the show. I said, the old Excelsior accordion. I said, I play Adela Pay. You do? Yeah. Show business? Yeah. I said, I'm a one shot every night. The way I was traveling, I preached in different church every night. Well, a one shot every night means you're a good musician. I said, I play a one shot every night. Oh, you, yeah. Well, who did you start? I started with EWR out of Iowa. Oh. And one fella, he said, I said, you're a pretty good hoofer, buddy. I said, them old feet, you could sure rattle them. And one of them said, what show are you playing in tonight? Oh. I said, I'm playing in a Wesleyan Methodist church. Uh-huh, you're religious. You're religious, aren't you? I said, yeah. One fellow says, so you've come to tell us we're going to hell and fool the devil. I said, that's a lie. I said, I come to tell you how much I love you. And I said, I'm a showman from way back. And I said, buddy, let me tell you, Jesus Christ loves you and died to save you. And I said, I want you to know that I love you with all my heart and I'm interested in you. And instead of consigning you to hell, I said, I'd like for you to go to heaven with me. That man took his glasses off. And as the tears dripped down his face, he said, what's your name? I said, George Hawthorne. He stuck his hand out and he says, George, in the 25 years I've been in the show business, you're the first man that's ever me at the back of the stage door and told me you loved me and showed an interest in my soul. We're consigning everybody to hell. Nobody ever come and spoke to me. They had no time for me. But an old coal miner, he heard me playing a couple of polkas and a couple of waltzes. And he come over this day and he laid his hand on me. He says, George, <laughs> he said, if you could only play for the Lord. Oh, Hey, that was a dagger in my heart. Oh, I said, I don't play that kind of stuff. I said, I play the other stuff. Yeah, but he said, if he could only play for the Lord with a smile, and I tried to get smart with him, and he walked away with a smile on his face. I went to a large place. The Masonic Lodge had a large place bigger than this. And a tap dancer, his musician hadn't shown up. They said, can anybody play? I said, I can. Can you read? I said, I can read his hands. And while I was trying to play for that tap dancer, the thing came over me if I could only play for the Lord. And when I stepped up before that audience to put on my recital that night, I couldn't get into it. That thing stuck with me if I could only play for the Lord. I'd never been any good since then. That old coal miner that showed an interest in me is the thing that got me under Holy Ghost conviction. Hey, there's a lot of people that need the Lord. Rich men, poor men. Next to the last time I was over in the old country, my cousin, they're all in business, in the florist business, tomato business, and other stuff like that. And he says to me this day, he says, now, George, you said, listen, he said, I'm going to a very rich man's place. And he said, I want you to go with me. I said, praise the Lord, I'll go. He said, you can't take that religion with you. Then I said, I can't go. I said, it's all through me, Bob. 
Well, he said, you can't walk up and talk like this. Well, I said, uh, uh, what, I'll stay home. No, he said, I want you to go. I want to show you some places where you used to go when you was a boy. Well, I said, you either take me like I am. So he got a smart idea. He said, come on, get in the truck. So I got in the truck, and we was driving along, and he was showing me places that I remembered when I was over there. And all at once, we pulled into this great, big, big, rich man's place. Now, he said, I'm going up to order some stuff. You stay in the truck. Don't you get out the truck. I said, okay. He said, I'll only be gone 10 minutes. Well, he pulled up, oh, about as far as from here to that post there. There was an old tool shed there. And when he got out and shut the door, who opened the door and stepped out but this very wealthy man? And when my cousin recognized him, my cousin bowed before him. He said, good morning, sir. I have come to do business with you. He bowed. He said, good morning, Mr. Hawthorne. He said, I am happy to have you here. And automatically, he looked at me. He said, good morning. And I turned the window down. And I said, bless God, hallelujah, she is a good morning. And he looked at me. Well, my cousin, he stepped over. He said, this is my relation from America. He was born here, but he has gone over there. Yeah, but he said, I like to hear his talk. I said, praise the Lord. Do you like that? He said, I'm an anxious man. Well, in my language, that means I'm hungry for the Lord. He said, I have read of men that talk like you. He says, could you introduce me to the master? I said, I sure can. He said, get out. When I got out of the truck, he told my cousin, he said, stay at the truck. <laughs> that man took me down between two great big greenhouses. This is what he said. Who do you date? Who do you date? In other words, how do you do it? I said, get on your knees. And I told him how that he had to tell the Lord he was a sinner. And that poor old man, as hungry as he was, began to tell the Lord he was a sinner and confessed out his need. <laughs> it wasn't long until the old tears were rolling down his face and I was a saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And as soon as he really struck the Lord, he said, the master has come in. He said, how do you say those words again? I said, praise the Lord, hallelujah. He said, praise the Lord, hallelujah. He got the gift of tongues right away. Praise God. He was a praise God. He was a praise of the Lord having the time of his life. I'm telling you, buddy, anybody can understand that gift. And if you get that, you'll say praise the Lord. Hallelujah, too. Bless God and everybody will understand you. Oh, let me tell you something, my friends. People are hungry for God if we don't do something about it. It's time to quit. I was traveling down through the south here one time for the Wesleyan Methodist denomination working for the home mission department. I'd preached in the church and I'd traveled real late. And about three o'clock in the morning, I come across a motel sign. I stopped, the fellow said, I have one room. I said, you ain't got that anymore for I'm a taking her. Signed up, gave him my money. He gave me the key. He said, here's a newspaper. I said, I don't want her. He said, Mr. Everybody gets a newspaper. I said, okay, give it to me. Took it under my arm, put a key in my mouth, picked up my two suitcases, walked up, dropped down, opened the door, stepped in, shut the door, threw the paper on the bed, opened up, and this is what it said, million dollar shopping center opens today. The Lord said, I want you to go to the shopping center. <laughs> I was getting my stuff off. I said, what in the world would I do there, Lord? He said, I want you to go. I remember just crawling in bed. Woke up the next morning at 11, and I kicked the paper off, and when I woke up on the floor, million-dollar shopping center opens today. The Lord said, I want you to go. I said, what will I do there? He said, I'll tell you when you get there. So I got up, got all cleaned up, had my breakfast, dinner, supper, dinner at the same time. Went out, and I said, the Lord said, the shopping center. I said to the priest, I said, where's this new shopping center? He said, are you all riding or walking? I said, I'm riding. He said, you go to the second light. Turned to the right, and two miles out there, you're done going to find it. I said, thank you, officer. So I drove out there, you know. Oh, it seems like all the Southerners and their brothers and sisters, they come to that big shopping center. Well, I thought, what am I going to do here? 
So I went in the store that was giving balloons and bubble gum and pencils and whistles, and I was filling my pockets, you know, and getting all that I could get. And I finally got me a shopping bag, and I loaded them in there, and boy, I was taking everything I could get. Well, if you're a Scotchman, and they say you take everything, I was taking everything I was getting. I was filling the bag, you know, and I finally got another one, and I had two of them, and boy, I thought when I get into the homes, they'll think I'm just like an old Santa Claus. I'll be giving the kids whistles and balloons and bubble gums and all that. And when I come out of one store... As soon as I made a left turn, here was a sign, oh, almost as half as big as that whole thing there, with an arrow that said, Meet Mr. J.C. Penny. When I looked at that, the Lord said, I want you to deal with Mr. Penny about his soul. Well, I said, Lord, that man's a Christian. I read in our Sunday school banner that he was a Christian. The Lord said, I want you to deal with him. I said, all right. Here I was with my two bags when I stepped in the store. I was about as far as from here to the front seat, a crowd. So I was kind of waiting in line, you know, because the people was getting up. And I thought, what am I going to say, Lord? And finally, I could hear them saying, you're an old man, but you look young. Hey, you're giving us a good business. Your prices are good. Buy. And just at about the time I got it, it seemed like everybody stepped off. The I walked up and I set my bags down. I said, are you Mr. J.C. Penny? He said, yes, sir. I said, Mr. Penny, my name is George Hawthorne. I said, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I came into this town about 3 o'clock in the morning, I felt impressed of the Lord to come to the shopping center. I said, since I've come here, I feel impressed of the Lord to deal with you about the salvation of your soul. He said, sir, some of my people are Methodists and some of my people are Baptists. But I said, I'm not interested in some of your people. I'm interested in you. I said, Mr. Penny, do you ever remember a time you got on your knees, confessed out your sins, and the Holy Ghost gave you a divine revelation that your sins were forgiven? Did you ever get that? He said, what's your name? I said, George Hawthorne. He reached out and he took me by the shoulders and pulled me in. He says, did the Lord send you here? I said, he did. And I said, Mr. Penny, do you know that Jesus Christ saves you right now? He said, no, sir. He said, I'm not a Christian. He said, I give a lot of money to religious organizations and people say, but I'm not. Well, I said, bless God, all you have to do is to get on your knees and confess out your sins. And if you do, I said, mister, the Holy Ghost will give you a divine revelation. Your sins are under the blood. You're a Christian. He said, the Lord sent you here. I said, he sure did. He said, who are you ordained by? I said, the Wesleyan Methodist Church. He said, Reverend, could you come to my office? I said, I could, but I won't. I said, you can do the job yourself. The Lord said, that's enough. I said, goodbye, Mr. Payne, I have to go. The last I seen him, he said, don't forget me, Reverend. No, I said, I won't. Oh, maybe two or three months later, I was called to a college in Indianapolis to go and preach to the students. The second night, one of the main men was late, and he came in and he sat down. He said, Brother Hawthorne, he said, I'm sorry I'm late. Ah, I said, that's all right. We're all late once in a while. He said, I was at a big business meeting. Who do you think that the real speaker was? I said, I don't know. He said, J.C. Penny. He said, when that man got up, he said, well, I have a different way of conducting my business. He said, I would like to testify that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, a few months ago, a kind of a redheaded man with a brogue said that God sent him to me. He said, I asked him if he could come. He said, nobody told me what to do. He said, I got on my knees. I confessed my sins like he told me. And he said, thank the Lord. I'm a Christian man. I'll go on with my business. I said, praise the Lord. I said, did he tell you it was in Charlotte? North? Yeah. I said, I'm the red-headed guy and the guy that talked with him. Just only two years ago when old Mr. Penny passed away, I said, bless God, I'm sure glad I spoke to him. What about you, my friends? Who are you talking to about the Lord? When's the last time you've done a little personal work? When's the last time the Lord has told you to go and do something? And you haven't done it. That's why you're not where you ought to be today. When you fail to mind the Lord, you begin to get critical and picky and fault-finding. Why? You feel out of place. You feel bad and miserable and mean. But the man and woman that's minding the Lord, they're happy. Bless God. They got a spring in their heel. Hey, there's something about serving the Lord. Bless God. There's excitement in serving the Lord. Boy, we say we don't believe in three works of grace, but you act like it's saved, sanctified, and petrified. I ain't going to do anything, and that's about all you're doing. You're sitting there. Well, let me ask you the question. 
Are you really out witnessing for the Lord? Are you or aren't you? How much longer do you think the Lord's going to put up with you shutting your mouth and not saying anything about him? Not very long. You'll lose out. Everybody likes to hear a red-hot testimony about talking to somebody, but what if you don't have any? You know what we need to do? We need to say, hey, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to preach or be a missionary or be a singer or be a shouter or a crier or just a real good personal worker? Have you ever asked the Lord anything like that? Now, we're not going to sing and get you here and cry and whine and pray around with you. But I'm just wondering how honest you want to be tonight. You know that you're not doing anything for the Lord at all. But you would be man or woman enough to come up here and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is there anybody in this crowd that would be man or woman enough to come for a season of prayer and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.